0: For the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Jesus in the Old Testament. Sounds kind of interesting, doesn't it, that you would find Jesus in the Old Testament? We've found that in the pages of the Old Testament Scriptures, we are beginning to see shadows and types and foretellings of Jesus Christ Himself. And so in this series, we've kind of laid a foundational truth that we continue to remind you, and that's this. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, which means it takes a little study in order to see it, right? But the Old Testament is in the New Testament, now revealed. So things that were in types and shadows in the Old Testament, now we look at the New Testament pages and we go, oh, that's the connection from that. And so far we've already studied a number of those uh, from uh, the Old Testament scriptures. And in each case they fulfill what we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that says in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples or types or visual aids for us. They were written down to warn us at the end of the age. So we have lessons to learn from these examples from the Old Testament. So who can help me remember? We've already talked about two different types of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and who can remember what they are? First of all, we found that he was... He was the rock, and we found out what came out of the rock? Water. We found that Jesus in the New Testament is the fulfillment of the rock. We're told that Christ is our rock, and as waters flowed out of the rock in the Old Testament to feed the children of Israel, to give them drink, we find that Christ provides living waters for us today to refresh us. Amen? Then last week we talked about Christ being the Passover lamb, right? And all the things that were true about the lamb uh, in the Old Testament uh, during the Exodus period. And we found that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And so today we have another example. And I've simply entitled today's message, A Snake on a Pole and a Man on a Cross. A Snake on a Pole. Ooh, that's a weird title. A Snake on a Pole and a man on a cross, all right? Hopefully you will (laughs) gather the rest of it as we go. There's an incredible Old Testament story. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. And it's just a brief number of verses, but it is packed full of meaning and packed full of obvious inferences to Jesus in the New Testament. So let's look at Numbers chapter 21 in verse 4 through 9. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go up around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. Who can imagine? They grew impatient on the way. How many of y'all are on the way, huh? You shouldn't get impatient. They spoke against God and they spoke against Moses and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? What, what's This isn't a very good plan. There's no bread. There's no water. And we hate this food. Then the Lord, verse 6, sent Venomous snakes among them. I want you all to picture this. There's close to a million plus people at this time. I, I, I don't want to conjecture how many snakes, but there were a bunch of snakes loosed among this multitude. The Lord sent venomous, poisonous snakes among them, And they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Please pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Here's what you need to do. Make a snake craft, the word there. make is to craft or build a snake, put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can what? Can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole, so he raises this bronze snake up on a pole in the high enough... Where anybody in the entire camp could look at it. And then, when anyone who was bitten by a snake, they looked at the bronze snake, and what was the result? They were healed or they lived. What an amazing story. A curious one, too, isn't it? Now, may I just mention to you quickly from John chapter 3 so that we connect the dots to the New Testament as we find this now revealed the meaning in the new testament it's captured actually by jesus at an interesting place in scripture connected with maybe one of the most well-known evangelical verses in the new testament john 3:16 we'll back up to verse 14 listen to what jesus said just as moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up now you see what he's done he's now connected That incident in Numbers 21 with him going to the cross. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up as well. So that, what? Everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God, say it with me, so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Wow. So let's take a moment and break down our story. As we said before, this is all about a snake on a pole in the middle of a wilderness, in the middle of their walk that had been extended beyond what it was supposed to be. We have to remember that the people's rebellion that is revealed here in Numbers 21 wasn't a new development. In fact, it had pretty much been the the, the state of their heart and mind for some time. We see repeatedly that the people of God who were following Moses only months after a miraculous deliverance out of their bondage. You would think they would be very grateful, wouldn't you? But instead, they were hard to please. Sounds like us sometimes, doesn't it, huh? And they were known for their grumbling, their complaining, continually rejecting and opposing God. Here in this verse, we read that they are opposing and rejecting God, They're opposing and rejecting God's leader, and they're reposing and rejecting God's provision. All of it. In fact, I'll just give you a quick little pericope. Did you know that when the Ark of the Covenant was made, that the items that were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, which we'll probably look at later in this series, were each of those items were there to represent people's rebellion. You think about it, do your own studies, you remember what was inside there, the manna was in there, do you remember in a jar, a little bit of manna was inside the ark, it represented what? This rejection, this rebellion right here. The people's rejection of God's provision, and it was placed in the ark so that it could be what? Covered by the mercy seat. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Okay, so they were grumbling people, that were complaining, and you might just say, well, where did this complaining come from? Listen, most people don't just complain out of habit, although we, many of us have a habit of complaining. Come on, someone say amen. Most of the time, our complaining and our grumbling and our opposing God and His provisions and His leaders goes deeper into our hearts. And many times it's connected to an unbelief in our heart. A lack of trusting God and actually a rebellion in our heart against God. Now, where does rebellion come from? Rebellion is simply working against God, wanting to go our own way instead of God's way. Rebellion is rooted in the old man. Rebellion is rooted in the sin nature, which is basically self. Everybody say self. Self. Yeah, that old self is rebellious by its very nature. Maybe you haven't noticed it, but two-year-olds tend to get rebellious. Why? They're not just bad kids. They were born that way with that nature. That's why we need a new nature created on the inside. Amen? So we find in this text the people were rebelling against God. The Scripture tells us in the New Testament that we've all done the same. That everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God really shouldn't be any surprise to us as we look at this story and we try to get to the bottom of, of what caused the, the snake biting. And if we were doing a, a forensic CSI investigation to try to find to get to the bottom of the problem, it wouldn't take long to get to it. We examine the trail of evidence from people dying from snake bites and we trace it back. What we would find is it was rebellion. Should be no great surprise that the killer's name is rebellion and sin. God's people were rebelling and it got them snakes. Poisonous snakes, no less. Now, uh, that's not a fun experience. Now, some, you know, I, I found it interesting when my family moved to the East Coast from Texas. In Texas, there's snakes everywhere. I mean, we got a lot of poisonous snakes. I mean, you grew up being trained to recognize snakes. And I got here, people never talk about snakes out here in the Midland area. Maybe certain regions, but I don't hear about it too much. Now, they're around, but uh, you don't hear about it so much. But in Texas, my high school mascot (laughs) was named the rattlesnakes. So what does that tell you? Yeah, I broke that curse off a long time ago, by the way. But anyway... (laughs) My point is, I was very accustomed to snakes and the result of poison. And when you got a rattlesnake bite, what you needed to do to treat it? Well, this was what was going on in this particular story. Um, Speaking about rebellion in the heart and how it's rooted to selfishness and sin, uh, I remember of an incident years ago when the Lord had me praying. Um, I was actually a new pastor in the city of Austin, Texas, and I was young. It was my very first church that I pastored in. I was praying for revival for my church and uh, for our city. And I was praying and fasting deliberately for revival to come. And um, so I remember that during that time, a group came in from out of town and started a new ministry on the University of Texas campus. And um, all of a sudden... Hundreds of young people began to come to Jesus. And uh, this was Bob and his ministry, yeah, way back in the day. And I had welcomed in to the city, tried to be nice and make things helpful for them. And they began to bring hundreds of young people at the college to Jesus. And that little fellowship began to just bust the seams and grow and multiply. And I remember complaining to the Lord. Can you believe this? I complained. I remember saying, Lord, I was upset because revival was coming, but it wasn't coming through my church. And I remember in, can you, in prayer saying, Lord, I, why are you using Maranatha? I mean, we've been here. You know, I'm, I've been praying, standing in the gap. Couldn't we be the recipients of some of this? Ooh, God, God, all over me. With conviction. Whoa, he convicted me. He said, You see, your motives were totally wrong. Your motives for praying were revival, were rotten and rebellious to the core. You need to repent. No wonder you're not experiencing revival. Oh, man. I repented and said, Lord, you could bring revival to our city any way you wish, <laughs> any way you want to do it. It just shows you, though, how easy it slips in, doesn't it? That self-driven rebellious thing. The people's (laughs) rebellion in the Old Testament is much like the rebellion of humanity today. Now we follow up the people's rebellion in this story as we've already read it with the result of rebellion. What was it? Snakes and poisonous bites. These were venomous snakes. And they were snakes that caused quickly that venom to begin to flow through the blood system of those Israelites. And they were dying. Boom, boom, boom boom, children were dying, elderly were dying, people were dying all over the camp. And out of that sense of desperation, when people began to notice and see what was going on, it caused them to come to God. You know, we shouldn't also be surprised that there were consequences. The principle is always true. Principles apply no matter the circumstances. Up is always up, down is always down, no matter which way you're facing the principle of consequences and suffering whenever we rebel against God's way is unchangeable. All sin causes us to suffer some kind of consequence. Now, thank God as believers, we have an advocate. and We can confess our sins, and it's, it, it's, the penalty of sin is gone. But even though the penalty of sin may be taken care of through the cross, sin still can have consequences. Unfortunate ones, husbands and wives who give in to infidelity or make shambles of their marriages will suffer, and so do the children. As tragic as divorce is, the reality is children and families suffer from divorce. Ill-considered abortions not only murder the unborn, but the consequences to the mother, and the fathers, and to others are immeasurable. Ministers who slash and murder their integrity. They suffer. They will suffer. And they cause their congregations to suffer. When we rebel against God, there are consequences. Let me repeat a story that maybe I've told a couple of times over the years here. So forgive me if you've heard it before, but couldn't help but think about it preparing this message today about the result of sin. In this case, terminal bites from snakes i was young in ministry and a young man had come to christ his name was al and he was a bright young man and he came to christ and we began to disciple him i remember praying for him to receive the infilling of the holy spirit and uh we had a brother-to-brother relationship although i was the youth minister at the time but he was a good young man and i watched him as he grew in christ he had a hunger for god and things of god and was growing and Then I noticed there came a particular point a few years later in his life where it just began to drift into a place of materialism, and he just wanted stuff, and he just was trying to just gather just money for himself. He got married, had a child, had two children, and uh, he was working uh, too many hours, and I noticed that the effects on his marriage were not good. And and, uh, next thing you know, I heard from someone else who said, did you know that Al has been betting on... Football games, professional football games. Uh, and by the way, this was back in the day in which that was rare. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as common as it is today. Today it's endemic. Um, but anyway, he was betting on a lot of football games. And, um, and I said, really? I said, that's not, that's not good. I said, no, I'm really concerned for Al. Well, months passed, maybe a year passed, and I didn't have a whole lot of contact with Al. And uh, next thing I know, I received a phone call. They said, please open up Sunday morning's newspaper and look at the headlines. Looked at the headlines at the bottom of the first page about a man who had planted a bomb on an airplane to kill his family. I read the story, made some phone calls, and discovered that Al, out of desperation, had gotten into great debt due to his gambling. And he took out a life insurance policy on his wife and kids. Millions of dollars of a life insurance policy and then intentionally planned their demise. This is way before security stuff that we have today in airports. And he built his own bomb put it in the baggage, his wife's baggage, and took them to the airport and loaded them onto the plane, knowing his plan was that that timer would go off as they were in the air, and it would kill his family. And the result would be he would benefit from the insurance policies. Even when I restate the story, I think, how could... Could anyone think that? And um, caught up with him. Thank God the security, even as unsophisticated it was during those days, su- suspected something about the luggage, pulled it off the line, examined the luggage before the plane ever left Austin, Texas. It was on the way to St. Louis, removed it. When they landed in St. Louis, the FBI welcomed him, welcomed the family off the plane, and immediately we were in contact with the husband back in Austin. They arrested him. He went to court. He was given a life sentence. I remember finally getting up the courage to go visit him in prison. I could hardly stand seeing The consequences and the effects of what started as a rebellious heart pushing God out, not wanting to give God first place, but instead replacing it with the desire for stuff and things and materialism. And then slipping off into all kinds of disobedience. And I know a lot of us wonder, how that could never happen? It just doesn't happen. Listen, I have lived long enough and watched enough things in in people's spiritual lives to know that their man's heart, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked. And it's sad what can happen. There are consequences for sin. Now, on the note of that depressing story, let me share with you good news. These people in this story, Numbers 21, repented. Now, I'm a little, you know, forgive me for being a little bit skeptical, you know, because we know the rest of the story. We know that these people who repented kept falling in the same pattern. So I'm a little skeptical of this particular part. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. But God honored their heart of repentance. And the scripture tells us that uh, the people came to Moses we see there in verse 7, and they said, Moses, please. Now, this was, remember, in the midst of seeing the consequence, right? You know, and there is a difference between being sorry that you got caught and being repentant, right? But God honored this. They came to Moses said, look, everybody's dying. These snakes are biting us, and there's, you know, they're killing our people. And so they went and they asked uh, Moses to pray and to intercede for them, and he did. And as we'll see, God gave a remedy. I just remind you of this same principle of repentance is valid in the New Testament. Granted, repentance is a word that you don't hear spoken of many that much these days, but it is true. Repentance is for today. Just as it was in the times of Moses. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when Peter is preaching to the crowds, he said, What? Repent. The word here means to have a change of mind, a turn of direction. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what's the key to salvation? It begins where? With repentance. Repentance plus faith, as we'll see in this next part of the story. So the people asked for forgiveness, the Lord was gracious, and the people's repentance brought about God's Remedy. It's an incredible painting there of, uh, from an Italian artist of the, the snakes uh, biting people. And then you can see God's remedy, the serpent on the pole and people uh, being lifted up by Moses and people looking at it. So let's talk about that. What was God's remedy? A fascinating, remarkable remedy that God told Moses. Now remember, I think we all know that God's big enough that in that story he could have simply done what? Snapped his finger, spoken a word, and everybody who had been bitten by the snakes could have been healed. By the way, can I just note something? Do you notice in this story, it never said that the snakes were removed? He did not eliminate the snakes, nor their poison. He only provided a way out. Hmm. What? God could have just said, be healed. Everybody be healed. But instead he did what? Moses, craft a snake. Put it up on the pole. Put it up on the pole where everybody can see it and all who look will live. I love that phrase. All who look will live. It's a look of faith. I'm sure you ask yourself, why would God tell Moses to build a snake and put it on the pole? And apparently God's directions were even more specific. It was a bronze snake. Why bronze? Bronze is an interesting choice because brass and bronze in the Old Testament always correlates with judgment. It was the, it was the material that was used to build the brazen, uh, the brazen altar. The brass was the same metal used with always associated with fire. Why a serpent? Well, first of all, because it was the serpents that were causing the problem. But also because we know that the serpent was introduced where? In the Garden of Eden. This is a strange emblem. But it is a foreshadowing of the Son of Man hanging on the cross. You say, couldn't be. This is a snake? A bronze snake? No, it speaks clearly of what Jesus did for us. Judgment, the judgment, the bronze, the judgment of our sins was upon him. He must be lifted up. The judgment was upon him. He became completely identified with evil as he hung on the cross. That snake represented the problem, the sin. Satan himself, if you will, that lamb of God, turned into a serpent on the cross when God turned his face even from his own son. We know the scripture we've repeated a couple of times during this series in 2 Corinthians. Chapter five, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Now, God's remedy was not just providing this this bronze snake uh, just in the same way we talked about the lamb. It wasn't just the fact that they, you know, killed the lamb. That wasn't sufficient. What did they have to do with the lamb? They had to apply it. They had to apply the blood of the lamb to their door, right? In this case, what did they have to do? Wasn't enough for them just to stick that bronze snake up in the wilderness. What, what was the answer? People had to what? They had to look. They actually had to end faith. Now, they could have, can you imagine, you could have easily said, this is stupid. Moses, we're in trouble here. I mean, we got, we got our kids dying, and you stick a stupid-looking snake up on a pole? They could have questioned God. They could have disbelieved. They could have done all kinds of stuff. But this was God's remedy, a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah. And all they had to do is look with faith. And as they had the look of faith, they were healed and they lived. Isn't it so today? All we must do, all men must do today, Is the look of faith to the cross of Jesus Christ? All they needed to do is to look with faith. That's why Jesus told us even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness on the pole, even so the Son of Man must go to the cross so that you may live. What a story. It's important for people to face looking at the serpent. Surely reminded people of their sin. Surely when they looked, it must have reminded them of the rebellion. Looking at the serpent on a pole was the last thing a snake-bitten person probably wanted to do. But there was the anti-venom. The anti-venom of God's life was able to flow through them. I find it amazing that God didn't eliminate the snakes. But he did provide the antidote. But it's there for us today. In the same way that we still have sin in the world today. As horrible as it is. Men and women. Children still have the option to rebel against God. To deny him. To ignore him. To question his existence. And yet he lives. And yet the same work of Christ on the cross is available for everybody to embrace today but people simply have to repent and look repent, turn and look in faith embrace Jesus Christ and you'll find that anti-sin venom flowing through your own veins Would you stand with me this morning as we close? Ask our prayer teams to come forward. I hope that this picture is clear to you this morning as it is for me. To imagine the the work of Jesus at Calvary. Becoming the same. So that we could receive forgiveness of sin and life. I know most of you in this room know Jesus personally. And maybe today's message is simply a faith builder for you to remember what he's done for you. Maybe it's an additive to your, uh, to your menu of options of how to share the love of Jesus with others that don't know him. Or maybe there is someone here today who's not in a right relationship with God, but we can invite you into that even now and to put your faith, put your look, put your eyes of faith on the cross and come to Christ and receive that wonderful, wonderful answer. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for every person in this room right now, in their relationship with you. I pray if there's even just one who's not in right relationship with you, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would draw them to the truth. Even as we open up this altar and we invite people to come forward for prayer, I pray that they would respond and take a step towards you. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us today of that remarkable sacrifice that you made for our lives. I thank you today for the anti-venom. <laughs> We've all been bitten. All of us here have been bitten. Thank you that we have the anti-venom flowing through our veins. In Jesus' name. Maybe this morning you need a miracle. You know, the presence of God was so strong this morning in worship. I'm sure many people's minds and bodies and lives have already been touched, but I have prayer teams that are available to pray with you and agree with you. Maybe you have a special request, and that's the power of agreement in prayer. So our teams are available here. If you'd please come forward and let them begin to pray with you and just... And minister to you uh, they're ready to do that and i want you to take advantage of that opportunity denise is going to come and declare just blessings <laughs> over you these are not just words but they're words released by faith faith words faith-filled words you be on the receiving end and just welcome those words of blessing as she declares them over you now Just receive the blessing of the Lord today. Lord, I pray for your blessing of the prioritizing of our time to seek first the kingdom of God. I bless you with the priority of Jesus in your heart. I bless your time with him as you gaze into his eyes that you would be transformed from glory to glory. I bless you with freedom from sin that tries to hold you down. I bless you with victory in every aspect of your lives. And I bless you with not only life, but life abundant, full of love and joy and peace. Be blessed as you go from this place in Jesus' name.